0: I'm going to start with a quote, which I will also end with, uh, which you might just like to reflect on. It was actually our verse for the year about two years ago. Are you tired, asks Jesus? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest." Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Lord Jesus, we pray that today for ourselves and for people who we carry on our hearts this day in your name. Amen. You know the old joke, don't you? Why don't the clergy keep the Sabbath? Why do they work on a Sunday? The answer is because they rest all the other six days. <laughs> um, I can say that having been a teacher all my life and been accused very, very many times of only working from nine to three and 39 weeks a year. Um, so any of you who share that professional history will know all about that as well. Because we somehow have this idea in our minds, don't we, about rest and about whole life balance. There's been quite a lot about it in in the press and uh, in the media recently. Uh, But I want to start by asking you um, a, a question which I'm not sure I know the answer to at all. Why did God rest on the Sabbath day? Was he tired having created the whole universe? We're told that on the seventh day, God rested. And as a child, I used to have this lovely picture of God sitting in an armchair, Um, with the idea being that having been really busy saying, let there be light and let there be animals and let there be people, God sort of put his feet up for a day. Um, And I don't quite know how we understand that, except that that day was part of God's creation week, that built into the very creation principle even doing the most creative of possible work, did not exclude just being. Who is God? God is I am. Who are we? We are human beings, not human doings. And so on that day, God reiterated, if you like, within the very most basic principle of creation, that we are just as God is and it's not all about what we do. Who we are is much more important. So that's the first thought that I leave with you without um, a great deal of elaboration. But I wonder what you feel about your life balance. In my experience, there are two kinds of people. There are those who are so rushed off their feet, they feel as though they're trying to spin all the plates in the air at the same time. I can remember very well that feeling. Uh, Where you just think there isn't enough of me to go round, and how on earth am I going to fit into the next few days, everything that I've got to do, and still somehow make time for God as well? It's just not doable. Um, And then there are other people who feel, now what am I actually going to do today? Having had a busy life and perhaps retired or being unwell, finding that there's a whole new pattern and rhythm. I'm going to suggest as we look at the teaching on the Sabbath from the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New, that it is important to God that we flourish, that as people we realize all that He wants us to be. Then that must include work, rest, pleasure, time for God, time for worship, time for prayer time for service. And I wonder if I was to ask you to put your hand up, if you felt you'd got that balance absolutely right, how many people would put their hands up? Because it is not easy. It is really hard. And sometimes it's more than hard. It feels totally impossible. Now, in this series on Exodus, we've been looking at um, some chapters in Exodus, and we saw Moses going up the mountain and, and, and having a kind of vision of the glory of God. And then when he came down, that glory was still part of him. And we're told that his face shone. And the Hebrew people were in a bit of a parlous state because they'd been given the Ten Commandments, and then they'd gone and botched it and, um, and caused all kinds of mayhem. So now Moses goes back up the mountain again. And as he comes down... He gathers all the people together and he offers them the chance to make a fresh start. Right, come on, you guys, let's let's get it right this time. Let's come into God's presence and start again. Let's remake our commitment to God. Let's re-establish that covenant relationship, that relationship of promise which he made with Abraham, which he made with Moses when they came out of um, Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. Let's renew that covenant today. Let's see how God wants us as his people to be. And from this point on, all the rest of that um, speech of Moses in Exodus is all about the tabernacle. It gets incredibly boring um, because it's all sorts of detail about cubits and and, and um, ephods and, and things like that. So, but it is actually incredibly important because all the rest of Exodus is about the tabernacle, about the priests, and about worship. Why? Because all covenant relationship begins with that encounter with God. Worshipping God, knowing God, being with God is at the very heart of who they are as a people. And I would suggest that if we call ourselves Christian people, people of the Lord Jesus, then at the very heart of all we do, however busy we are, however much time we may or may not be able to give to it, but worship and our relationship with God is not an add-on, it is the core of who we are. And oddly when Moses gathers the people, before he starts talking about worship and what it's going to be like and how important it's going to be, he quotes one commandment. Now, to my recollection, in Exodus 20, there are 10. But Moses just iterates this one commandment um, that we had as that first bit of our reading. You will keep the Sabbath day. It focuses on the Sabbath And Exodus 35, 1 to 3, which was the first reading we had, is a kind of restatement of Exodus 28 to 11. You shall keep holy the Sabbath day. Why didn't Moses talk about the first commandment? You should love the Lord your God and you won't have any other gods. Why didn't he talk about the second commandment? Don't make any idols. After all, that's what had tripped them up before. No, he focuses on the fourth commandment. He says... Keep the Sabbath. It's as though the principle of Sabbath, of Sabbath rest and Sabbath ryth- rhythm, is very, very deep and important. It was the one thing which made them completely different from the cultures around them. The idea in a primitive culture setting where people were only just beginning to discover what spiritual life was all about, that you should actually take a day and make it different, was incredibly countercultural. We've sort of gone full circle, haven't we? The idea that we should call a day special is not really part of our culture. And it's very, very hard. And yet it's part of the very creation of ourselves as human people that God wants to build into our lives. Now, if you think this is now going to be one of those rather guilt-laden homilies about how you shouldn't um, cook a meal on a Sunday, you should leave it from the day before, or you definitely shouldn't play a sport or get the tiddlywinks out on a Sunday. It's not, because I think like so much of scripture, we've got to look at it in the the whole context, the Old Testament in the context of the new. So don't switch off now and think I'm going to tell you all off and make you go home feeling guilty, because I'm really not. That's not the plan. Although I might a little bit at the end, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there later. In his book, Free Play, Stephen Nachmanowicz argues that perhaps the most radical socio-political invention of the last 4,000 years was the Sabbath. The practice of the Sabbath recognises that we need time and space reserved from the pressures of everyday life, reserved for going inside ourselves for rest, review And revelation. The most important socio-political change of the last 4,000 years is the recognition of drawing a line around space that isn't work and which is special and which is about the core of our humanity. So the Sabbath is the focus here when the Commandments are given again by Moses. Later, if uh, we were told in, I think it's Deuteronomy, that when people wanted to join the Jewish faith from other faiths, the one command that they had to follow was to keep the Sabbath. It was also, of course, one of the main criticisms that the Pharisees made of Jesus, because as far as they could see, he didn't do it. There he was, picking corn and healing people on the Sabbath. Now, that wasn't on at all. In the reading that we had from Matthew 12, we see Jesus breaking what was seen to be the Sabbath rules. Were the disciples breaking the Sabbath rules when they picked a few bits of corn to eat? In Deuteronomy 23, 25, it says that anyone with corn in their field should leave a bit in case people are hungry and they want to pick some. It doesn't say they shouldn't do it on the Sabbath. And the principle of the Sabbath, Jesus says, is about flourishing, not about imprisoning. It's about that which makes us more human and more rounded and more fulfilled as human beings, not less. The Pharisees were so anxious to study what the law said, they couldn't hear what it meant. Perhaps we get a bit like that sometimes. Um, But they were so anxious to make sure that they kept the sabbath they built up hundreds of little rules about what you couldn't do on the sabbath until the poor people didn't know whether they were coming or going i wonder why they did that did it give them power was it easier to have a set of strict rules than to leave people to judge how their relationship with the living god was best worked out in their life certainly jesus did He was establishing an understanding that, of course, the Sabbath is important, but not like a prison. Anything which enables flourishing is doable on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is about flourishing, it's about growth, it's about human uh, understanding of the very nature of God. So, in verse 7, Jesus says, You haven't understood this, have you? It says in the Old Testament, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want you to enter into your Sabbath with a full person, not just looking up the rules and seeing what, you've, uh, what you can and can't do. And what Jesus was doing to the man with the withered hand was an example of God's mercy. Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. As God, the Sabbath was his gift. And as God, he restores the Sabbath to its rightful place. He moves us on from law to grace, from works to faith. Keeping the Sabbath wasn't about doing good so that God would tick off a few good points against us. Keeping the Sabbath was about recognizing the centrality of faith and our relationship with God. So he is saying here, I am here to redeem you so that from now on your obedience to God's laws, yes, the Sabbath laws, will be from the heart, not from a rule book. They will be guided by commandment principles. Jesus never said he'd come to destroy the law, but to make it understandable in the light of a full relationship with the living God and to renew it. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard it said, love your, uh, your friend and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. You have heard it said that you should do this, and he says you you shouldn't do that. You have heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. I say to you that anyone who even looks lustfully on the wrong person has committed adultery. Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to make it relevant and to make it part of the flourishing life that God wanted for his people. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was God's precious gift to a people who otherwise could have burnt themselves out and forgotten their humanity in the doing of things. And worse still, would have have enforced that on their servants, their manservant, their maidservant, their ox and their ass. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus then goes on to heal on the Sabbath, healing and doing good are approved. Because restoration and wholeness, these are just what the Sabbath is about, is today for you about restoration and about wholeness. But there is also a principle of obedience. We live in a society, don't we, where we sort of sign up to, if it feels good, do it. Um, And that leads us down all sorts of very difficult and tortuous roads. We're told that Jesus went to the synagogue every Sabbath. That was his habit. So there's a kind of balance here between the gift of the Sabbath to us as something to enable us to flourish, something which shouldn't be hemmed in by impossible rules, and I'm going to say a bit later, but especially for those people who have to work on the Sabbath. Of course they do. People in our hospitals, in our caring services, we all know that. Nonetheless, there is a discipline principle, and I think sometimes as Christians, we just might have to discover a little bit more of that, because in trying to avoid a legalistic faith, we might have perhaps lost sight of the fact that there is also a discipline which enables us to find the freedom which God offers us. So what are these principles of Sabbath rest? Let's start a bit with the principles, and then we'll look at the practice. What disciplines are important, even within the new covenant, even under the the mercy and the heart obedience that Jesus is talking about, what should we still cling on to as right? And one is worship on the Sabbath day, that you work on six days, and on the seventh, you worship. Now, this shouldn't be a rod for our back there are all sorts of reasons why actually making it to church on a Sunday can be difficult or even impossible and I have the profoundest respect for people who make my life possible and safe because they're prepared to work on the Sabbath and I know how important that is and I would be the last person to say let's not do that. And there are all kinds of intricacies which I'm really not going into about whether you have a Sunday paper or, you know, that sort of thing. I don't really want to go down that road right now because I think the principles are more important and I think we can pray for God to teach us the right thing. But I would say that where it is possible, worshipping with God's people on a Sunday is a discipline and it should be whether we feel like it or not. It's part of God's longing for his people to meet together to worship. It's at the heart of virtually every book in the Bible that the people met together. Now, I can think of so many examples. And then, of course, in Hebrews. Do not neglect to meet together, as some have. There's a lovely story about um, uh, someone who said uh, to his priest, I can be a Christian without coming to church. And the priest went to the fire, and he took one of the burning coals... a pair of tongs and laid it in the hearth and the man carried on talking about his own personal faith and the priest said to him look at that piece of coal and it had gone from red to black from hot to cold. Its heat, its fire, its passion was fed by the other burning coals around and I would argue quite strongly that in so far as it is possible Within God's grace and within the nature of the life he's given us, one of the disciplines of our life should be Sunday worship. God loves it. I still feel when I meet to pray sometimes in the vestry as though all the people are chattering out here and God's sort of looking down and going, yay, that's my people. They're lovely. They're all meeting together and they love one another and they're going to worship me and they're going to sing and they're going to pray and they're going to bring the world to me and they're going to listen to my word. And God smiles. We're told in Zephaniah, God even dances and sings over his people. So if God gets such pleasure from our meeting together to be his people and to raise his name and to sing his praise, that isn't an optional extra. That's what we do. That's what makes us Christians. And isn't it interesting that at the beginning of this talk, I was saying that the one sign that people made that they had come into the Hebrew faith was that they kept the Sabbath. Now, I hope you understood from everything else I've said. I'm not saying that there aren't times when that's impossible and people for whose whole lives that is not, dif- not easy to do. But insofar as we can, that's what God loves us to do. Secondly, he wants us to pray, to spend time with him. We're told that Jesus went out to pray, to meet with his father, If it got interrupted because a few people had followed or a few hundred people had followed, well, then he was prepared to stop. But his discipline was to spend time with his father. Now, I became a Christian at a time when we had wandered into a slightly Pharisaical territory. And having a daily quiet time and how you did things was seen as so important that we'd almost wandered back into the Pharisees. If you don't do that, you're a very bad person. Um, But actually... I think we might have thrown the baby out a bit with the bathwater because making time for God is part of that Sabbath rhythm, that recognizing that we are God's being, we are one with him, not just what we do. And in every day, or at least every few days, we ought to be able to find a bit of time where we just set aside time to be with him. I was reading recently a lovely story about um, uh, the mother of the Wesleys. She had loads of children, many of whom died. I think she had 19 and nine died. Um, And most of the time, she was having to look after them on her own because her husband was actually in and out of prison. And when she wanted to pray with all these children around, and she homeschooled them all, apparently, every single one of them, she homeschooled and she gave an hour to every one of her 10 living children a week, one-on-one. But when she wanted to pray... She would put her apron over her head. She sat on her chair and she covered herself up with her apron so she could pray, and the children knew that that was her time with God. Now I suspect if one of them had fallen over and had an accident, she would have actually gone to help them. But for her, it was such a priority, even in an impossible situation, that she engaged with God. So the Sabbath rhythm of our life should be reflected in so far as it's possible with a day when we worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether we fancy the service or not, even if someone you don't really fancy is preaching. And I know that happens quite a lot. Um, my husband tells me, greater love hath no man. he to come and listen to his wife preach. Um, <laughs> but the fact is, that's what God asks us to do. And on a personal level, our Sabbath rhythm is building into our life time to be with him, to listen to him and to study his word. And I still think something like Scripture Union Notes and Lectio 365 and anything that helps you to do that is really important. After, if Jesus did it, it must be important, mustn't it? And he was God. So Sabbath rhythm is part of our commitment in worship and in personal devotion. We won't always feel like it, but we'll do it anyway, because we know that that's what gives delight to our Heavenly Father. God wants us to live our lives in a way which reflects wholeness and balance. Is your life whole and balanced at the moment? Don't get me wrong, this is not a guilt trip. This is, I know how very, very hard it is, having been there myself over many years, to, to build in wholeness and balance. Um, but it is actually very important Wayne Muller, um, a theologian, says this, because we do not rest, we lose our way. We miss the compass points that would show us where to go. We bypass the nourishment that would give us succor. We miss the quiet that would give us wisdom. We miss the joy and love born of effortless delight in our Creator. It's not an optional extra, actually, to try and find some way of building wholeness and balance into our lives. And I know how very, very hard that is. And all I can say is that at the end of this talk, I'm going to pray for those of you who find that balance almost impossible. And that God will find some way of building into your life little islands of Sabbath rest, where there can be a slightly adjusted balance so that you can find him and find wholeness. We need the perspective that although we work for our needs, we also need to rest. Sometimes I think we get ourselves overactive because we think we're indispensable. I know I do. We think, oh dear, it won't work if I'm not there. Let me just tell you something that, um, that uh, Walter Bridgerman said. Sabbath he says, is the refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being. Interesting. Sabbath makes us focus on something other than how much money we've got or how much security we've got or how much we are protecting ourselves from something that might go wrong in the future. You see, God is concerned for our well-being. So finally, how do we put this into context? God first, a willingness to be different, a willingness to stand out. I know of someone who, having become a Christian, went to their uh, superior and said, look, I know this isn't always going to be possible, but I now go to church on a Sunday and I would really like to be able to do that. And that person's superior said, as far as it is possible, I will arrange your shifts so that you can. It's amazing what can be done if we're prepared to go and put our faith on the line and say, this is who I am, this is what I would like to do. It's particularly difficult, I think, for our youngsters today looking for holiday jobs and first jobs. There's just such an assumption that you'll work um, the hours that they tell you to do. To actually be prepared to stand out and say, actually, I would really prefer not to work on a Sunday um, is, is, is very hard. Certainly, um, there were times in our lives and it didn't always work, but as teachers, we were very, very busy and, you know, there's all the marking and all the other stuff that has to be done and we really did try never to do it on a Sunday. I'm not saying it was easy. Certainly, when I was in the sixth form, I wouldn't work on a Sunday. Um, And that's hard because you've got an exam on Monday and sometimes, perhaps, I'm sure God understands if sometimes you have to say, Lord, I'm sorry, but I've just got to do this. But it's the principle that says, God, you come first. And I really want to honour that by the way in which I live. So sometimes we have no choice, or we feel we have no choice, and the pressure and the cost. Sometimes we just have to work on a Sunday. People do. And in order for the rest of us to have the quality of life that we expect, and particularly the quality of care and safety that we expect, of course that's going to happen. How we decide... How each of us manages that is really tricky. And the last thing I want to suggest is that any of us points the finger at another. We will all solve those problems in a different way. But the principle is that we care that God is at the heart of our lives, at the heart of our week, at the heart of our worship, at the heart of our day, at the heart of our thinking. And that we recognise that in his goodness and his grace and his mercy, he absolutely is with us when we get it wrong. He absolutely is with us when we get it wrong. But he'll know that we really do want to try and get it right. It's a bit like a marriage, isn't it? You know, you've got to find time for each other and sometimes it's hard. But if you really want to, that at least helps. And then you work from there. The greatest principle is about our heart. Where is our heart? What's our first waking thought? Is it the jobs we've got to do in the day? Or is it gratefulness to the God who loves us? And just one final word about those for whom this is all totally irrelevant because they're in a different place, a place of enforced rest a place where it's not a case of finding time. It's almost a case of finding the motivation for God. If you've got a whole day without much to do, when do you actually stop doing all the other fiddling around things you do and actually set aside time for God? That's sometimes true for me. You keep thinking, well, I'll, I'll have a quiet time in a minute. I'll just do this and I'll just do that because you can. And the same principle applies. How do we put God and our love for him at the heart of everything we do. Someone said to me recently that I try to make sure that my first waking thought is to say, Holy Spirit of God, come and fill me afresh. Give me the wisdom to know how to do today well. Give me the wisdom to know how to show my love for you in the choices that I make. Because Sabbath rest is God's precious gift. Passivity might be God's precious gift. Jesus was passive. Has it ever occurred to you at the end of his life? All the 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 verbs about Jesus for the first part of his life were active. Jesus went, he did, he healed, he touched. Mm -hmm. And then we're told he was taken. He was nailed. He was asked. Jesus, in his passion, and the word comes from the same root as passive, gave up control because of his love for us, and therein was his glory. If you're one of those people, and all of us will be at some time in our life, through illness, through old age, through bereavement, through unemployment, we'll find that we actually have too much time. Just remember that that passivity can also be a place of God's glory, a place of his revelation, a place of his closeness, a place where he gives us new servanthood in a completely different way and that's a whole new sermon. Let's come to God this morning and ask him to show us how to fulfill that precious fourth commandment to keep holy the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, the Sabbath hour, the Sabbath balance, the Sabbath rhythm that we might flourish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we pray for all those we know who are too busy and we pray that you will give them grace to find space to be so that they might flourish in the service that you've given them to do. We pray for those that we know who are in a passive phase of life that you will give them healing and wholeness and a sense of your purpose and your presence And we pray for each one of us where we need to revisit the disciplines of our life. Help us to do it, not in a pharisaical way, but by laying our lives before you in love and devotion. In Jesus' name. Amen.